You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 350, Training Topics for Your Church Safety Team. So over the last couple of episodes, we've talked about the importance of protecting your church. You only have to read the news a little bit. You'll you'll probably see some kind of incident taking place in a church. Just a few weeks ago uh, in Texas, a synagogue was was attacked and several members were held hostage until they were rescued by the FBI's um, hostage rescue team. So there are um, plenty of reasons to to protect the church, mainly because we love the people that come there and we want to make sure that they're safe. We talked about uh, last week really what you should be looking for as you build your team. And today we're going to actually talk about training and why training is so important. And I get it. Depending on where you live, um, you may have to modify or adapt what we're talking about. But the principle principle of protecting your church is the same no matter where you live. Let me give you an example. We lived in, in Brazil from 2012 to 2017. I was executive pastor of one of our C3 churches there. We also were working with a couple of our smaller churches. But at our home church, we had security every week there. But because of, of the gun laws there, civilians could not uh, get a gun unless, of course, you were a criminal. Criminals always can get guns. But the police um, were our security. We hired one or two off-duty police officers. They wore civilian clothes, and they made sure that the service was safe, that the vehicles in the parking lot were safe, and that at night, um, you know, as people were leaving, because uh, we were kind of in the middle of a city, uh, they made sure everyone got away safely. So... There's, there, there are ways around your, your, if you have restrictive gun laws, and even in the U.S., we, there's places where the gun laws are very restrictive. But the principle of keeping the church safe should be foremost on every leader's mind. How do we keep the flock safe? So, um, depending on, on, on what those laws are, we're, we're going to just build assuming that you're able to put together a church safety team. And I'm going to talk mainly to the church safety team that uh, where, where these men and women are armed, where they're, where they're actually carrying a concealed handgun to protect the church. Now, um, everything that I talk about in training is not going to be a firearm related, but part of it will be. But, you know, um, it's not enough just to start a, a safety team ministry. We also need to train them. And it's not just a, a good enough to have a one-time training. we got to have ongoing training. When I was a police officer, I heard someone say one time, we don't ever rise to the occasion. We always fall to our highest level of training. Let me repeat that. We never rise to the occasion. We always fall to our highest level of training. Let me break that down a second. I think in all of our minds, we think 
that if there's a crisis, we're going to turn into Superman or Batman or pick your superhero, and we're going to jump in and we're going to solve the crisis. We're going to disarm the bad guy. We're going to do whatever we need to do, and um, we're going to be a hero. We always we, most most people have some type of hero complex. However, I hate to burst your bubble. The reality is, unless you've been trained. Um, with with the skills needed, and unless you've prepared yourself mentally, you will not rise to the occasion. You'll just fall to the highest level of your training. Now, if you've been trained, if you're carrying a, a, a firearm for self-defense and you've, you've practiced with it and you've trained with it and you've been through courses and you've um, spent a lot of time at the range and you've thought through different situations and scenarios and um, you're prepared mentally, then you probably will be able to make a difference. But the only reason you're going to make a difference is because you're going to fall to that highest level of training. And because that highest level of training is pretty high, you're going to respond well. In the same way, if you're in an unarmed setting and you've never had any training, you've never had any self-defense uh, tactics or martial arts, and you really haven't given much thought to it, when something bad happens... Um, you, you, you probably don't have a whole lot going on going for you. At the same time, if you've been trained, you've got some martial arts, you've got some defensive tactics, and you've thought through different situations and something bad happens, you very likely will respond in a positive way and maybe even make a difference. So we don't rise to the occasion. We fall to our highest level of training. So that's why we emphasize training so much among our church safety teams. Well, how often should your team train? I recommend at least quarterly and possibly even monthly. Um, the way it works for us is, yeah, usually about every two months we have some type of training. But even in those months when we don't have actual training, we'll, in-person training, I'll send out a podcast or I'll send out an article or I'll send out a short video that has to do something to do with um, training for our safety team. Um, I sent out one uh, an article just a, a week or two ago, uh, just reminding our team about why we do what we do, and it had to do with a pastor who was kidnapped. Uh, I believe it was on a Sunday morning. He's just walking into the building, and he was kidnapped and uh, carjacked, and. Um, you know, eventually it was resolved and no one got hurt, but it was a very sit scary situation. So it's just something just, just for awareness I sent out. And then other times we'll send out articles and break down different things that have happened or, uh, you know, videos that I think will be helpful. So something to, um, you know, constantly help our people think better, think more clearly, think more tactically, and to give them some training. And then We've got to document the training. We've got to document it. Um, what did you do and who was there? Every time we have a training, uh, I've got a, a, a drive on, on the Google Drive. I've got a document called uh, Church Safety Team. And I'll put a list of who attended the training, what we talked about, and, and the date. Because listen, God forbid something happened. But we want to at least be, be, be able to show that if the church gets sued um, or individuals get sued, that we were providing ongoing training for our team. We want to show that we were being responsible. We just didn't have 
um, a bunch of random people with guns guarding the church. We had a trained group of men and women who were providing safety and security for your team. So document that training. Uh, protect yourselves, not just criminally, but also protect yourselves civilly later on if something comes back on top of you. Don't go away. I'll be right back. I just wanted to let you know that this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, When the Stars Fell from the Sky. This is book three in the Zombie Terror War series. I've been highlighting these lately. Listen, these are fun, exciting novels. If you like a fast-paced novel with fun characters and a lot of action, you're going to love this. Even if you don't like the zombies, I encourage you to check it out because this is uh, really war on terror uh, the, the zombie virus is a, is a terrorist weapon that's been released. So we're dealing with terrorists, we're dealing with zombies, we're dealing with all kinds of bad guys. And in the middle of all that, we've got some relational things going on, we've got some romance, and lots of action. So click on the link, you can read the first part for free, give you a little bit of, a little taste of it, then I hope you'll click on the link and buy it, and then let me know what you think in an Amazon review. I always appreciate hearing back from my readers. So when the stars fell from the sky, I know you will love it. All right, back to talking about training topics for your church safety team. So we've talked about the importance of training and the fact that we need to document that training. Now, what topics do we need to cover? Well, one of the things that I require for my team, and this is even before they can join the team, is that they have completed a uh, firearm safety course, a basic course, by a National Rifle Association certified instructor. Uh, These guys do a fantastic job. The National Rifle Association is the premier firearm safety organization in the U.S., and so their certification means a lot. So pretty much in every city, you can find a range where you can take a class and get a certificate by an NRA certified instructor. But this is just the the baseline. This is just where we start with our firearms training because after that, I require a yearly qualification. I'm recording this in February of 2022. We just qualified our team in January. And it's a simple course. It's not hard, but it is a course that they have to pass. So there adds a little bit of stress. Um, This time, everybody passed on the first try. We've had a couple of times where people have failed, and if you fail, you get one try, and then after that, you got to go take some extra training. So this this year, everybody passed on the first try, Um, but what does this do? This yearly qualification, it's the standard that everybody has to meet. Remember, we talked about documenting our training, so we document the fact that everybody on the team has met a standard um, of, of proficiency in carrying their firearm. And of course, as they're going through it, I'm also monitoring them for safety and for safe weapons handle, handling. So this is a very important thing. So this is our first training of the year is always in January when everyone has to um, meet their qualifications. And, you know, there's any diff- you, you can use any type of course you want as long as it's um, realistic 
and practical and the kind of thing that um, you know that, that that your team might actually do. Let me give you an example. When I qualify for the police department every year, I still qualify with them. We actually start at 25 yards. That's a long way. My thought process in our church is a more realistic um, expectation uh, for distance is probably 15 yards. Now, if you shoot across our auditorium, it's probably going to be more like 40. Um, But it's it's very unlikely that anybody's ever going to shoot that far. Um, it's just it's just very very unlikely with 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 the dynamics of any kind of situation. So so for us breaking down situations and scenarios, we said 15 yards is probably going to be the longest shot anyone on our team takes realistically. So we start at 15, we move to 10, then we go to seven, and then we shoot at five. And there's different stages that different round requirements at each stage. But it's not a hard course, but as I've said, I've had people fail it. And uh, so it just is one of those things that everybody has to stay proficient. And it just shows that everyone is meeting a particular standard. Standard Number two, judgmental shooting or simulator training. And what I'm talking about here is one of those situations where you go into a room and you've got a computer that projects video on the wall, and you become a part of it. You've got a gun, a modified weapon, a modified pistol that has a laser in it. It interacts with the video and um, lets you know how you do. And the police departments use these scenarios. The military uses this type of simulation, and they even make them for civilians as well. And so, um, you know, absolutely wonderful um training aids. When, when, when we first started our safety team a number of years ago, we had access to one of these at the local ranges. And so I would take the team up there. They, 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 because it was a church, they didn't charge us that much. And we would put everybody on the, the simulator and they didn't know what was coming. And I would say, listen, you treat this like it's real. I want to hear you talking. I want to hear, hear you giving verbal commands. I want this to be as realistic as possible. And you know what I found was, even though it wasn't real, even though they were interacting with a video, it brought out such a great level of stress and um, really highlighted uh, areas that we needed to work on and just phenomenal. So uh, I don't have access to that anymore. Um, I don't know of any others in, in, in the area where I live. But if you've got access to that, that is a wonderful way to um, actually... Uh, see where the people are. In fact, I used this. This was actually one of the things I used to judge whether or not somebody was on the team. I actually had to turn somebody down one time because um, they just showed bad judgment. And, you know, it was one of those things where I just said, hey, listen, try again later and, and you know, we'll we'll give them another go. But, you know, there were just some, some serious issues with the way they responded on the simulator that I didn't feel comfortable Um you know, let them be a part of the team. So definitely a great way to go when you can have access to that. Number three, this is something we teach every year. Every year, at least once, we have a use of force and a state law refresher. And what I'm talking about here, the use of force, um, we might even say the use of force continuum, because we talk about how force progresses and as a safety team, how, um, what does the law say about how we can use force 
and the dynamics that go into it. But along with that, we also look, I live in Georgia, we also look at what does the state law say. We're civilians, we're not cops. So we have to be very careful in the way we think about using force in a church setting. Obviously, it's the worst case scenario to use any kind of force as a church safety team. But we also want to be within the guidelines of the law if we have to do it. So wherever you're at, I encourage you to see what your state law says and um, create your own policy accordingly. And it should pretty much mirror whatever state law is on how to use force and what those requirements are. So we go through this every single year and we talk about every level of force, whether it's just giving verbal commands all the way up to using deadly force to stop a lethal encounter. Number four, CPR and basic first aid. Um, our, our team had pretty much every couple of years, they have to be certified again on CPR. Um, it just makes sense. Why not? Uh, it's not that expensive. Certify everybody on your team in CPR and provide some basic first aid training for them. Uh, thankfully, I've got access to a paramedic who serves on another team in our church, and he can provide us with some very practical first aid training. And so I encourage you, you know, maybe once a year, have something on, um, and it doesn't, look, we're not talking about, you know, teaching our people to become doctors. We're talking about trauma first aid. How do you stop the bleeding? Um, that's probably one of the biggest. CPR, obviously, um, applying that. But in any kind of traumatic situation where, you know, somebody has been shot or stabbed, how do we stop the bleeding until the, the paramedics get there? Uh, you know, we provide first aid kits. We've got them placed strategically around the, the, the building. We've also got most of our guys carry some type of IFAC, which is an individual first aid kit, which has a tourniquet and blood clotting uh, gauze and just some other great tools that, that, that we can use. But again, remember, we don't rise to the occasion. We fall to the highest level of training. And so if somebody's had no training in first aid, then the, they could actually make things worse. We had a situation a few years ago where a, an elderly guy fell down, just just fell down, lost his balance, and busted the back of his head open. And people were jumping in, and, and it, it just turned, turned into kind of a chaotic situation. But it provided a great teaching moment later. And, you know, when I mentioned it to a couple of the service team members who had jumped in and tried to help, they had given no thought whatsoever to their own safety, which... I guess is commendable, but not terribly bright. Um, we had plenty of rubber gloves available just a few feet away, and yet nobody even thought of that. And, you know, we ended up with two or three people with, you know, blood all over their hands. And uh, In this day and age of communicable diseases, this is probably not a good way to go. And so, you know, we talked about it, and, you know, we made even more gloves available and provided some, you know, we actually, um, you know, replenished some of the, the first aid kits um, just based on that incident. But again, just thinking through what might happen and how can I respond. That's number four. Number five. Number five. We'll wrap up with this one. Defensive tactics. Defensive tactics. Now remember, we're not police officers. We're not looking 
to go in and lay hands on people. We've very clearly articulated to our team the, the, the very uh, worst-case scenarios when we can actually lay hands on people and use force. But most situations, we're not going to use force on someone unless they're actively involved in trying to hurt the safety team member or somebody else in the church. Just running their mouth or yelling or screaming or being um, uh, disruptive is not grounds for us to go in and lay hands on people. The only time we're going to lay hands on people and, and use force in that way is if that person's actively trying to hurt us. But... If that happens, then we've got to be prepared. We need to be able to use um, a moderate amount of force. Uh, obviously, state law always says the, the, the minimum amount of force to control the situation. And so um, we want to use that minimum amount of force to control the situation, but we don't want our people to get hurt either. So we, we do some defensive tactics refreshers throughout the year once or twice, and basically how to get somebody off of them, how to take somebody to the ground, and then even how to get that person handcuffed. And again, we're talking worst case scenario, someone who's actively fighting, actively trying to hurt someone else. We want to get them to the ground and restrain them until the police can get there. I realize we're not police officers and, you know, handcuffing somebody is a big deal. That's why we reserve it for the very worst situations, the person who's really trying to hurt other people. So that's that's what we review. Um, part of our defensive tactics also involves protecting our pastors. You know, if you look at most or many church attacks, the pastors are the focal point of that attack. And so we always have people protecting our pastors. And so we also, one of the things we train on is just getting a bad guy or a bad girl or someone who wants to hurt our pastor away from them. And so we've got specific defensive tactics that we use to uh, remove the bad person, the, the aggressive person, the attacker, or even to get the pastor out of there so that they can um, be protected. So defensive tactics are very important. And listen, I get it. You're not going to make somebody a martial artist training defensive tactics once a year. And if people don't practice these things on their own, just like with their firearm, you know, if, 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 if my people only shoot once a year when they do their qualification, well, that doesn't make me feel very good, but there's not a whole lot, there's not a lot of ways we can regulate that. But, you know, they have to meet the standard. But defensive tactics, um, I think we're much more likely to use these than we are actually to shoot. And so this is the kind of thing where I always recommend people practice on their own, maybe pair up and practice, um, you know, at different points. You know, go take a martial art, and I can give you some suggestions for which ones are good. Um, go to the gym, you know, work some, uh, do some rounds on the heavy bag. I don't know, do something, but get some training in. But at least we're covering, in, in this yearly defensive tactics course, at least we're covering and giving them some ideas and some thoughts to, to help protect themselves and to help protect others. Because what I find with defensive tactics is if you don't have a, a solid base, people end up using more force. But the more training you've got, now you're able to use less force to control the same situation. Well, I'm going to stop there. Just quick review for, for topics that we should be covering as we train our people. 
We have our initial firearms training, which is one of my requirements to join the team. And then along with that, we have a yearly qualification. Number two, we do judgmental shooting or simulator training if you have access to that type of uh, software and machinery. Number three, use of force continuum and a state law refresher that, that outlines what your state's laws are. Number four, CPR and basic first aid. Number five, defensive tactics. Now, let me say this about defensive tactics. I'm a, I'm a martial artist. I've been in martial arts my whole life. If you're in a situation where you don't have someone like that in your church, you don't have that resource, there's probably plenty of people in your community who would be willing. The police would probably provide someone. There's probably martial artists in your, in your neighborhood who run a school who would be willing to come in and work with a church, um, probably for a nominal cost, something to check into. And I'm always willing to help as well. You've got my contact information on my website. All right, well, I am going to stop there. Next week, we will pick back up and look at additional things that your training your, your safety team needs to be trained in. So what I'd encourage you to do, go to davidspell.com. If you think of any tactics that you think we need to cover, add those in the notes. And I may have them listed. I may not. You may have thought of something I haven't thought of. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your comments on what we covered today. So go to davidspell.com. Leave questions or comments in the comments section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter. And by all means, check out my book, When the Stars Fell from the Sky. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. And I'll see you next week on Leading and Learning. Mm-hmm.